You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, and it is chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, amen. I'm excited today. Uh, I was praying the last few weeks. Uh, last week I didn't, I didn't get to speak because Jared was here and it was Easter Sunday. It was a great, great week. And I was praying over the last few weeks, like, God, where are you calling us to next? What are we going to be talking about? What, what should I be preaching on? Because uh, we just finished up our The Promise series where we talked about the different covenants of God with his people. And uh, we finished up with Easter Sunday, the ultimate covenant. And Jared talked last week about this dance party, this feast that God has called us to. And so when you're in the feast, you don't worry about all these other little things. You just come to the feast and you focus on the feast. And so that kind of the feast being salvation, coming to faith in Christ and just enjoying the life in Christ. So that being said, uh, I really felt God this last week confirm in my heart, you need to talk about 1 Corinthians. Uh, maybe we'll do 2 Corinthians, I'm not sure, but we are going to do 1 Corinthians, we're going to look through this, and there's a bunch of different reasons why. So, but let's, before we do that, Bob just read the first opening hello to the church in Corinth, and it sounds like the church in Corinth is pretty awesome, right? It's like, I give, I'm so thankful for you, you don't lack any spiritual gift, God is sustaining you, I always am thankful for you. It sounds like these are pretty awesome people, right? If, if you got that in the mail, you'd be like, man... I am great, and Paul loves me. Paul loves them. They are great, but they are a disgusting mess at the same time. Um, We're going to look at this series about how God, in his grace, in his goodness, he constantly takes the pieces of our lives that are a mess and broken, and he puts them back together if we are walking in grace if we understand the goodness of God, and if we're listening to his correction. Make sense? So that's what we're going to see through the, in the church of Corinth over these next few weeks, months, whatever it looks like, how God puts pieces back together. But before we really get into it, I want to look at how did the church of Corinth become what it was this moment? Why is, the, why is Corinth what it is when we look at the rest of the, the book? Um, let me just give you a little bit of details uh, Corinth is a city um, in the, so if you guys know where modern day Greece is, and the bottom of that you have Athens, and you have like this little bit of stretch of land connecting to a larger island, part of Greece, right? But that island then was called Achaia, um, and on the, kind of like, the, you have that little piece of land between the two, you have Athens here, and you have Corinth here, all right? So Paul was in Corinth, and he go, or he was in Athens, and he goes to Corinth, and Corinth is this awesome major city. And so that's the people there. It's Roman. It's multicultural. And so Paul goes to Corinth, and we'll look at that here in a minute. 
But the church in Corinth, this is actually not, even though in our Bibles it says 1 Corinthians, right? And then you go to 2 Corinthians. Paul started the church in Corinth, but this is actually his second letter to them. We don't know a whole lot about the first, first letter. Um, it would be really weird. You're like, well, if this is the second letter, why is it called 1 Corinthians? Because it would really be weird if you opened your Bibles for the first time, you saw first, or 2 Corinthians, and you're trying to find first, and it's not there. That would be really confusing. And then we have in our Bible 2 Corinthians, which technically is the fourth letter to Corinthians. The third one, we feel, well, we find out that Paul was pretty hostile in and pretty to the point and very much tears were shared in that letter, apparently. That's what we know. But we don't have that letter either. So it would be really weird if we open our Bible and we see 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians and there's no first or third. So that's why you have first and second, but there is there was from Paul two other letters that we don't really have. They were for them and God in his wisdom does not give them to us today. But so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, possibly 2 Corinthians, and we're going to see what does this church look like. And I want you to know that have you ever like planned something out in your head that's going to be awesome? Like all of the things are going to be perfect. Like it might be the perfect wedding. It might be the perfect date. It might be the perfect new job. And then you show up and it's rainy and your wedding is disgusting and people are fighting. Like I've been to a wedding where the two families, you know when you do the, the little smushing of the cake, right? I've seen the groom take the, the bride's head and put it in the cake. And then her family went crazy. Because he didn't know, but there was a rod in the middle of the cake. And they're like, you could have killed your wife. And he's like, I didn't know. And, like, and then there's fighting and police, and it was crazy. And alcohol was involved, so that's never a good time. So, like, you plan this perfect day or this new job. Like, when I, I remember when I moved here, the, the people who hired me before I even moved here, like, yeah, you're going to get 38 hours. It's going to be great, you know. I show up, I get like four hours for the first two months. And they're like, well, school's out. We can't really give you any. You told me this. You guys know what I'm talking about. You plan something in your head and you're like, it's going to be beautiful. This, this vacation is going to be the vacation of the lifetime. And then you get there to Mexico and you're throwing up every day. Like, and it's your honeymoon. That's a bat. That happened to Jared and Aaron. <laughs> like, it really happens, right? We go on our cruise and my wife is sick for the first five days of the cruise. Yay, Europe. Like, this is great. Um, you plan these things in your head, and they don't go the way you always think they would go. A lot of times, life is messy. Things get messed up. And that's, it wasn't just that the church here when Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians was messy. It started messy. And I want to look at Acts chapter 18. We're going to see what, when Paul starts this church, and we're going to see kind of the mess that it begins with. 18 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is a gift to you. You can keep that. Um, it's yours. We believe every person should have a Bible and should be reading it and filling their lives with the Word of God. Um, it's, it's, we don't live off of bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you're holding the word that came out of the mouth of God. So live on that. Side note, that's not my message at all today. 18 verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he responded, or he, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of the man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, these are great names, aren't they? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or to harm you. For, you. for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, stop there. Now, I want you to see what just happened here. Because that's like, wait, what are all these names? What is happening? Like, so Paul leaves Athens. He speaks to Athens. He's, when Paul's doing his missionary journey, he's the apostle for the God. He's declaring the gospel first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And everywhere Paul seems to go, the Jews are like, forget you. Maybe one or two are like, yeah, we'll receive. And then he goes and spreads it to the Gentiles in the city there. And then he goes on to the next place. Short term, very short term each city. He gets to Corinth. And the first thing he does, he's like, I'm here. And I heard there's other, another believer, two Jews named Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife, who believe in Jesus. Now it says Aquila and Priscilla, why are they here in Corinth? They were in Rome. And Claudius the emperor tells all the Jews, get out of my city. Get. And so they go from Rome to Corinth, which Corinth was known as more Roman than Rome. Like that was like, what they, they, Corinthians, if you were a Corinthians, you took like the ultimate, this is like the American with like the American flag all over his car. He's got the eagle everywhere. He's got the tattoos everywhere. Like that's that city. Like that's basically what Corinth was. Like we are more Roman than Rome. Ha. So when they're kicked out, two Jews are kicked out because of racism in their city. They're like, what's the closest thing to this city? Because we love people and we love the city. They go to the next closest thing, Corinth. Corinth. Make sense? They were just victims of racism. And they go to the close, closest thing possible to where they just came from. I want you to see this. Before we get into the rest of this message, God often uses injustice and discrimination for his ultimate glory. We just got to become aware enough to see it when he's doing it. They go, and because they were kicked out of their city, they meet Paul the Apostle and become real church leaders for the church in Corinth. God used their past brokenness, victimization, their discrimination against them for his ultimate good, right? They didn't get into victim mindset, and they didn't go hide out in the country like, we weren't wanted here, we'll be wanted nowhere. Wah. They didn't do that. They went to the closest thing. They're like, we love Rome. We love the people. We believe in Jesus. We got, we got something in us. And they were doing something before Paul showed up because how else did he hear about him, right? So they, Paul finds them and they're like, you're tent makers. You work with leather. Well, leather. Leather. I work with leather too. Let's do it together. So Paul starts making tents. During the week, working a full-time job in a new city. And every, every Sabbath, he'd go to the synagogue and try to teach the gospel, try to change people's minds. This wasn't like he rolled in the town in this nice house he bought with like a full salary from the Assemblies of God or from whatever denomination he was a part of, and he just did his thing. 
That's not what happened. He's like, I'm going to work hard to preach here, and I'm going to find people who are like me and join with them. They weren't victims. They were ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We got to look through our persecution sometimes. We got, we got to see that sometimes God uses injustice against you for his glory and to propel you into higher callings. That's exactly what happened to Aquila and Priscilla. We have their names here because they were victims somewhere else and came and chose to be ambassadors in a new location. It's good. We, we got to get past the it's not fair thing. My daughter, Faith, she is, she is the queen of saying it's not fair, and it drives me nuts. The other day, we're making birthday cards for a birthday party we went to, right? And so they got their little cards out. They do marker on the front. Well, marker bleeds through paper, right? So they open it up, and they want to do both sides of the inside. We're like, Ash said, Faith, if you want to color that side, you can't use marker because then it'll go through onto the front, and then you'll have a big mess. You got to use crayons. Well, that basically turned into the biggest injustice of her life. It's not fair. It's not. And she puts her head down, and she's like miserable. I'm like, you don't want to color it, don't color it. But if you want to color it, use crayons. She can't do it. The other, like, recently, I let them stay up an hour late, which to me is like a big generosity. Oh, you're not going to bed at 7.30? You're going to bed at 8.30. Well, when it's bedtime, I'm like, all right, all right, girls, it's time for bed. She lays on the ground, it's not fair. Yeah, no, it's not fair. I should have made you go to bed an hour ago. It's not fair to me that I let you stay up late. But it's a big thing. And then she gets in her bed, but it's so boring. All I can do is stare at the wall. Or you can stare at the back of your eyelids and go to sleep. Like, that is the point. It's not fair that God wants to recharge your battery every day through sleep. Sorry about that. Like, but we get, we, don't we do that all the time? Like, any injustice, anything that we feel like we, sh- we should have a little bit more, we begin to become the victims, and then we're crippled, and we lay on the ground and cry. Instead of just, I'm like, Faith, I told you it's bedtime, but you know you're allowed to sit in there and... She is the loudest kid with her imaginary. She, she goes into her room, and you can hear her on all three floors of the house because she's talking to her plethora of animals around her bed. Like, you know what's not fair? I should take all of them animals and make your room soundproof so we never hear you through the next two hours of night. Like, that's not fair. But you got a full-on circus in the middle of the night happening in your bedroom. But it's like she, she doesn't see that, though. So instead of enjoying the toys that she has or enjoying the liberties that I give her, she's lamenting over the one thing that was taken from her. Don't we do that? God has given us an abundance every day, and we lament over the one small thing that we don't seem to have right now. Aquila and Priscilla did not do that. They went and said, okay, we're going on. We're moving on. We're not victims here. We're going to the next city, and we're spreading the gospel there. Historians, this is kind of a little bit debated, right? Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this one thing here. But so Claudius, from what we find in historical records, kicks out the Jews because there was a lot of rioting or for some reason fights amongst different types of Jews over this guy and this religion called Christos, which sounds a lot like Christos, which is Jesus. And so there's somehow there's fighting amongst Jews and in this religion, and he kicks them all out. He says, get out of here, right? And so they leave, probably because Christianity was starting to spread, and there's starting to be conflict between the religious and the irreligious, the Christians, probably. I'm not saying that's exactly why Aquila and Priscilla are here, but that's probably why. The, funny, the weird thing is, so Aquila and Priscilla are in Cor- Corinth, and they do other ministry as well, not just in Corinth then afterwards, but then when... 
Claudius is gone, and a new emperor, Nero, comes back, to, comes to the town. He removes that ban against Jews, and guess where Aquila and Priscilla go? Back to Rome. They're like, we're going back. Well, if you are a historian at all, you know Nero was not friendly toward Christians. It ended badly. But these are people, I want you to see, these are people who are not holding on to a grudge against a place, a city, a government, or a people. They see the gospel and say, I still need to proclaim it there. That's, that's, that's what I want in my heart. I don't hold grudges against people, against what I've been hurt. I just keep speaking the gospel and I go back to ground that needs, needs seeds planted in. Anyway, moving on. They loved Rome. I want you to see this. They loved Rome. And God, God is a God who loves cities. He loves cities. When Paul did his evangelism when, through Scripture, you would see that he would go into a city, spread the gospel, and it would say when Paul had ta- like, spoke the gospel to that region. He didn't go to every area in the region. He went to the cities because he knew that's where culture is, that's where people are, and that's where influence is, is to be made, right? He didn't go out into the woods. So if you're like one of those people who hate cities and you just can't wait to go hide out in the woods, that is not the heart of God, just so you know. God loves cities. He wants you to impact culture. He wants you to impact people, and he wants you to love people. So don't be, being a recluse and just like, I'm on my own, that's not the heart of God. It's just not. Just sorry if I annoyed you right there. Tell you another thing, the country was also known as a place for pagans. Just saying. Um, and for those who, could, who weren't smart enough to make it in the city, I'm just being real. Just being real. I, lo- I want to reach the people in the country, but that's not where I'm dwelling. Anyway, moving on. So, Paul, right? <laughs> He's, uh, a lot of you guys are offended right now. I'm from the country. What are you talking about? I, I am too. I am too, okay? I love Scrapple. It's my favorite thing. That's one thing about the city. You can't get here is Scrapple. Good Scrapple, right? Anyway, moving on. So, Paul, right? He's working. He comes to this city, and he tries to preach the gospel, and people aren't really receiving it. And he meets this, this couple, and then all of a sudden, Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia with finances. And so Paul no longer has to work a full-time job, and he begins to declare the gospel full-time because they showed up to help him out with the gospel and everything. And then we see that the, the, the Jews in the, in the synagogue say, we don't want you. And Paul, because he takes his mandate from God as the ambassador, as an apostle, as the proclaimer of Jesus seriously and not as some kind of part-time sidekick thing, he takes it seriously. When they reject his gospel, to him they're rejecting life and they're rejecting God. God. They're bringing death on themselves. So he's, I'm shaking off the dust of you. I'm getting out and your blood's on your own head. And this is, to me, this is hilarious. Where does Paul go? He doesn't leave town when the Jews kick him out of the synagogue. He literally goes to a Christian who lives next door to the church. (laughs) And he says, you don't want me to have church there? I'm having it right here. What are you going to do about it? Nothing, right? So Paul sets up church next door, and the leader, one of the leaders of the synagogue, it says in the next verse, him and his whole family come to faith, and they join the church. They become a part of this. Paul takes his mandate from God, the, the vision of Jesus, of him lifted up as Lord, seriously. And then when everything starts to get chaotic again, God shows up and gives him one word. It says, stay, because my people are here in the city. He doesn't tell them where. He doesn't tell them when they're going to show up. He just says, stay. So often, we just need to hang on to a word like that when God says, I need you to push through because I'm doing something. That's, that, to me, this is the example of what I felt like our, our, our last few years have been. 
Hang on because God's doing something in the city. Push in. Stay here. I have people here. Uh, see, if I was Paul, when God gives us kind of like a, a word, don't we want all the details most of the time? Like, okay, you want me to do this. How exactly is this going to work? Who should I call? Jesus, I'm going to close my eyes, and I want a verse in here that has their phone number in it. So I can, that doesn't ha- that, that's not in there. Sorry, it's not. Like, sometimes we just want everything worked out, and God just said, stay here. Stay here for a season. And he stayed there for a year and a half. That's long for Paul. And he's a far, far away from his hometown. When, uh, let me, can I be kind of just, like, real for, with you guys for a second, tell a little bit of, when we started the church, right, um, in 2009 was the idea, Jared shared the heart of the, of the vision of City Lights, and we started our Facebook page, and we had like a thousand likes before we even moved here, I think, it was blowing up, and in my mind, I'm thinking, just like I was talking about earlier, where you think something's going to go perfectly, I'm like, this is going to be epic, like, we're going to move there, and every week, people are just going to be flocking to our church, we're going to set out our sign, and we'll have like 300 in the first year. Like, it's just going to be great. Like, and and then, then I, can, I got this job lined up. I can go to the schools and work with these kids during the day. That'll last for about two months until I'm able to be full-time at the church doing what I feel God has called me to do. You're laughing. Why are you laughing? He's giggling right away. It's like, you're silly. I worked in mental health for three years, right? We show up. We show up in, in Scranton, and you, you, you put a sign out in Scranton that says New Church, and you're downtown right by the mall. It's not society's elite and smartest people that show up at our first services. Um, we got all the weirdos the first couple of years, just being real with you. I'm not saying, I mean, some of you guys were here at the beginning. You're not the weirdos I'm talking about, right? But, like, you, I remember we got donuts in the back. There's a guy eating donuts over the donuts every week, dumping his coffee like it's, like, part of his job. Like, seriously, you, you can't. We had a guy first week in the church. I, at that time, I ran, the, I ran the PowerPoint with the words and everything up there. This guy comes in. He's in there for one service, right? And he says to me, he's like, so uh, how do I get my words up there? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean your words? Like, you know, Jared, that guy, that guy up front, he's got his words up there. I'm like, yeah, the Bible verses? Yeah, he's got his words up there. Uh, how do I do that? I said, well, Jared sends me his email with the, the verses he wants, and I put them in the computer. All right, I'll, I'll send you my verses this week. I don't, I don't know you. Like, you're not preaching next week. It's not happening. Like, that's, like this, you're laughing. This really happened. These are the stories I can tell. There are a lot of stories I can't tell. We had one lady show up her second week. She met somebody she had known from some, uh, somewhere else, and she said, the, the, this other person's like, oh, you go here? She said, no, I just like to keep tabs on Jared. I'm thinking, you're not his mom or a school teacher that we know of. What, you're keeping tabs on the pastor of the church? What does that mean? Like, this is what we were getting our first week. It did not look like what I had in my mind. I thought, we're going to move to Scranton, and all of God's saints are going to flock together, and it's going to be the best leaders and teachers of the city. It's going to be government people and, politi- and everybody of society's going to come out, and we're just going to charge the city. It, it looked more like a circus for a while, just being honest. And we didn't know what we were doing. I was 25, Jerry's 20, 21. We were kids, and it was, it was a mess. I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. I probably shouldn't even be saying this right now, just being real. 
And so Paul moves into a city. Things don't go the way. He's in the synagogues. He's working a job, making tents. The people there are rejecting him. Things don't go the way you dream in your head, right? Ministry, being a pastor, isn't a dream job. The same way your job isn't always this floating on the clouds. Everybody loves you. You do everything you wanted to do. You're getting the raises. You're, get, you know, you're making, you know what I'm talking about? Your life, life is not always what you want it to be. It's just not. And But what are we doing in the midst of that chaos? Are we seeing Jesus in the midst of it? Are we pushing forward? Are we hanging on to him? Are we hanging on to, to what, what he's even there for? He's there for people. God has his people in a city, and that city has to be saved. Church is not easy. Church is not always pretty. It's often very messy. But God's church is where his people are, and he's doing something in his church. I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about our church. This church is often pretty, or not, not pretty, pretty messy. This church, like, there's, there's stuff that happens in our lives. Every week, somebody is going through something. And we, we push through, we fight the fight, we hang on to Christ, right? One more, one more thing in, in Acts I want to look at, and I'll just sum up what happens here. So the next verse we see in verse 12 in, eight, in chapter 18. So these Jewish leaders begin to come against uh, Paul and the rest of the church in Corinth. And they take them, they literally take them to Galeo, who is the pro-council of Achaia. Achaia is like the state there. So that whole island that they were on where Corinth is a part of, it's the state. So if Corinth is Harrisburg, Achaia is Pennsylvania. Make sense? I mean, that's just a simple way of explaining it. So the king of this area, Gal- Galeo, he, there, Paul was brought in front of him, and the Jews accuse him of causing issues and being against the law. And Galeo basically, he asked them, like, so what's this issue about? What's going on? What's happening? And at the end, his verdict is, wait a minute. You guys are fighting about words and theology. Is this Christian movement... Are you guys eating anybody? Are you guys killing anybody? Are you guys having riots or anything? No, you're pretty peaceful. You're just talking about theology and who's God and who's not God. Okay, I'm going to make this thing legal because your, your, your fight against them is silly. This, in case I summed it up bad, this is a major win for the church. Now Christianity is a legal religion in that area under Roman influence, right? This is a major win. This is not some weird voodoo cult. This is not something that we need to kick out and make illegal. This is now having an official stamp saying, wait a minute, you're trying to get them arrested and persecuted and even killed? You guys are silly. I'm making this thing legal. The Jewish plan backfired on them. So often when people come against us, the darts of the enemy are flying against us, God wants to use that situation for his ultimate advancement and glory and edification. That's what happened here. When they were trying to trap Paul, it turned out to be a major victory for the church. This is a major win. They now, Christianity has the same legal status as the Jews in this this area. Back to 1 Corinthians, right? I want want you to see this this morning. So 1 Corinthians, the verses that, that Bob read this morning, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. I won't read it again. Um, but if you look through the first nine verses, you'll see something eight times. Eight times you will see Christ Jesus, or in other translations, King Jesus. Paul's able to look at this church that started off as a messy, 
frustrating year and a half, but God was doing something, right? God was growing his people. There was conflict, there was trials, there was a mess. And here now he's writing to them knowing there is major, major, major sin. But he doesn't start off by calling out their sin. He points them toward Jesus. The only way in your life you're going to be able to see through the mess, see through the chaos, see through the disappointments, see through the racism, if you're able to see Christ in the middle of it. That's the only way you're going to get through this. Eight times in nine verses, Paul says, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. It's all about King Jesus. It's all about him. Life is supposed to be completely centered around Christ first. If Christ is not the center, everything is a mess. Every piece of the puzzle is out of place. But when he's the center, God begins to put those pieces back in in the right place. We can see through the mess. I love that Paul tells this church, who literally is insane in a lot of areas, they're, they're a mess, getting drunk off communion wine, orgies, um, lawsuits against each other. Like These are just a part of the few things that they're doing. It's a mess. And they're midst of this Roman, multicultural, multi-pagan city, and they love Jesus, but they are a mess. Paul says to them, so that you, you are not lacking any gift. You're waiting for the revealing of Jesus Christ, who will sustain you until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you, you messed up, ugly-looking church. Before I get to that, let me tell you, you don't lack any of God's goodness. You don't lack any gift that he has. He's already given you himself, and he will sustain you. He will take you and carry you guiltless before God. So even though your life looks like a sinful, ugly mess, in Christ you are guiltless till the end of time. That's what your true identity is. That's what you really are. I'll get to all these other things, and I'll start calling out sin, but before I do, I'm going to call you up to him. That's what I want to do. We as a church, when we look through this book, we're going to start looking at some of the major areas of our lives uh, that need to be put back in place, going from everything from just fighting in the church to the way we view God, our theology, and who we follow, and sexual stuff. There's all kinds of sin happening. And we'll look at that, but we can never get those pieces in place without knowing who we are in Christ first. They are sustained as guiltless to the end because of Jesus. He refocuses them not on sin and behavior change, but on the lordship and the grace of Jesus. If your life this morning feels like a mess, I would encourage you to look at the Lordship of Jesus, to look at who you are in him. If if our worship team can come forward. See, Paul is able to push through and to fight these battles for the church. And Aquila and Priscilla are able to push through because they don't view themselves as sin. They don't view themselves as their neglect that they've had against them, their abuse that they've had against them. See, do we, do, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you as a, whatever your issue is, whatever you've gone through, whatever victimization you've had in the past, or whatever sin you're going through now, I want to encourage you that you are not that thing. You are not lust. You are not greed. You are not profanity. You are not anger. You're not violence. You're also not 
sexism. You're also not rape. You're also not abuse. You're also not neglect. You're not any of those things. You're not bullied. You're not any of those things. You are in Christ. And He will sustain you till the end guiltless. That's your true identity. That's who you really are. When we know that, when we get that, the things come back together. This morning I ask you, if you're a person and your life just feels like a mess today, that you need to look Jesus, look at Jesus and call him forth. See him in the midst of the mess. If you're a person where all your dreams and all the things that you feel like God's called you to, if they all look messy and difficult, then I, I ask you to look at Christ in them. Find Christ through them. If you're dealing with a constant battle with sin, with your life just feels like you are a sinful, disgusting person, then I challenge you to look at Christ in them. Realize that he's the one who sustains you guiltless. That's a big word for me. That I am sustained guiltless till the end. I don't know if we fully grab that. In him, I lack nothing. In him, you lack nothing. It says that all good things, God is faithful. By who you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is good. When you are not faithful, when you are sinful, he is faithful. He will sustain you. We have to see him. Does that make sense this morning? If we can stand, I just want to, I know this might have been a little bit of a strange message for you. I don't know. But I, I want you to see that in the midst of the mess of life, whatever that looks like for you, that if you put your eyes on him, God will begin to put the pieces back together. I feel like a lot of people in this room have been pretty disappointed before. Like you felt like God was calling you to a new opportunity, a new, a new mission, a new whatever. I don't know. And it just did not go the way that you planned. And God does not want you to hold a grudge against that thing or that area or that church or that people. God does not want you holding something against them. But like Aquila and Priscilla, you keep seeing Jesus in it. And you keep going back and declaring truth. Thank you.